happy Monday. It's time for class, Remar nurses. We're going to talk about this topic, COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And you know what? This is one of those topics that I don't know if it's like you, but I struggle so much with this topic. I just wish somebody would have explained it to me, like how I'm about to explain it to you guys. So let's just get into it. Hi, everybody from all over. It's time for class. So COPD, we know that this, you know, this stands for an obstructive breathing condition. But actually, what what is happening to the air? What is happening to the air? Come on in. When a patient with COPD takes in oxygen, what happens to that oxygen? I'm telling you, if this is where the fundamentals really help set you apart and make you go through these, these case studies are going to be a breeze when you study the information like this. Shout out to everybody that is going to take their exam this week. So looking forward to your passing. So, okay. So everybody's, oh yes, Beverly. Yes. That's what I was looking for. So the air, this is what happens to that air every time, every single time. So the air gets trapped. That means that the patient with COPD, they're able to take in the air, but the air can't come out. And this is where we have the biggest issues with the oxygen exchange in COPD. Great job. So the air is trapped. Now, what is the number one cause of COPD? There are many factors. A patient, you know, they can be exposed to pollution that they can even have a genetic disorder we know that you know even young children can have this condition but typically you don't see copd until when um until the person starts yes until the person picks up this habit and it's like you know if you do this long enough you will you will discover copd it's like the number one cause of, yeah, of COPD is smoking. Smoking, smoking, smoking. Because what happens is with COPD, the um, the alveoli become damaged. You have inflammation. And then when you have damaged alveoli, you're not going to have the appropriate gas exchange. So if a patient smokes long enough, the lungs are not going to be able to continuously heal themselves right? Continuously heal themselves. So we're talking about COPD. We know the number one cause is smoking. Now the pathophysiology, this is where uh, a lot of nursing students struggle understanding that the two main types of this obstructive disorder are going to be chronic bronchitis and emphysema. Chronic bronchitis and emphysema. And you want to make sure you know which COPD is being highlighted. So we have to talk about the differences between chronic bronchitis and emphysema. Does anybody know? All right. Does anybody know the difference if your patient is coming in and they have a majority of bronchitis going on or emphysema? It's going to be really easy. Wait till I tell you. You're going to be like, ah, so easy. But before I do that, I want to go over some of the language of nursing, some of the language of NCLEX that you have to know, which is hypoxemia and hyperkipnia. So when we talk about hypoxemia, we are talking about the oxygen. Is it low or is it high? 
Uh, it is going to be down, okay? And then the hyperkipnia, what we'll notice is that the CO2 is going to be up, okay? So we have some opposites going on. And this is going to be very important. Yeah, this is going to be very important because with COPD, they are used to having a high carbon dioxide level in the blood, right? We're seeing this manifest in the blood. And so the high carbon dioxide level is what is going to drive their respirations. It's going to drive their respirations. So we actually want the patient with COPD to have an increased CO2 level. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about now the difference between chronic bronchitis and emphysema so that you always will remember what NCLEX or even your nursing instructor is highlighting. So let me switch this out. And thank you guys so much for being here. We are getting into COPD in a great way today. So these are the terms. Chronic bronchitis here, the blue bloaters. Have you ever heard of that? And then emphysema, the pink puffers. Okay, the pink puffers. And these are very distinctive clinical features that are important because if you understand these clinical features, you will never have to think, oh, is this bronchitis or is this um, emphysema? So with chronic bronchitis or emphysema, I have two S's here, two S's. And if you remember the two S's, then you won't have any issues. All right. And so for chronic bronchitis, the S is going to stand for symptoms. Okay. Because NCLEX will, NCLEX is going to highlight the symptoms. This patient with an obstructive condition, they're going to have certain symptoms because of respiratory um, obstruction. And where emphysema, NCLEX is going to highlight what? The S for them is going to be, and you need to be writing this down if you don't know it, the S is going to be structure, okay? The structure of the body changes with emphysema, okay? And so here we go. So if we're talking about chronic bronchitis, we're talking about symptoms. What are some symptoms that a patient with bronchitis are going to come in with? What are going to be the clinical symptoms, right? And so when you look at a person, and even if you've had bronchitis one time, you're going to have the same symptoms, right? But when we talk about chronic bronchitis with COPD, we're talking about more than three months out of the year. If you have, if you have these symptoms for more than three months out of the year, it's chronic. Very good. So the first one that you're going to see, though, with somebody with COPD and chronic bronchitis, they are going to be overweight, so these patients are going to be overweight. So I'm going to put that there. These are not typically thin patients. These patients are pretty big, right? Um, and then they're going to have a cough. Now, with the cough, with the cough, are they going to be producing something? Are we going to expect them to be producing something? Yes. People with bronchitis, they have a lot of mucus and it comes out. That's part of the obstruction. It's the mucus. Yes, I see here also wheezing. Patient's going to have wheezing. The cough is going to be wet. Yes. So 
this is what NCLEX is going to, this is what NCLEX is going to, um, they're going to present to you. They're going to prioritize for you. Patients had a cough for, for three months, right? Patients overweight, patients wheezing, patient also, they can say wheezing, they can say rails, right? And then they have this blue, this blueness. They're called blue bloaters. The bloating is the overweight. You're going to see somebody that's overweight, right? But the blueness means that they're also going to have what? What are we also expecting with chronic bronchitis type of COPD? And what are you saying? Ah, good job. So we know this is an obstructive disorder because the blueness is going to be the cyanosis. Yep. And it's going to be defined as central cyanosis. So that means you'll see it in the mucous membranes of the patient, right? But sometimes, you know, that can, that can vary depending on the patient's race. But these are the major tenets of chronic bronchitis. These are the major tenets of chronic bronchitis. NCLEX is going to present you a patient that's heavy with the symptoms. Good job. Good job. Okay, heavy on the symptoms. Now, the pink puffers or the emphysema, we're going to have a patient that has structural problems, structural changes. So what are the structural changes with emphysema that you guys, do you guys know the structural changes? How would we describe this patient? Are they going to be thin or are they going to be big or are they going to be thin? These patients are typically going to be thinner. Okay. Now, will they have a cough? They are not, not really. They're not really going to have a productive cough, but they will have that. And I see it. How will we describe their chest? Mm -hmm. They're going to have a barrel chest. Yeah. So these are thin patients. They have a barrel chest. They have hyperinflation. And what type of muscles are we going to see them using? Okay, because they're thin, they're struggling to breathe. So NCLEX will say they are using which muscles to breathe. And see, it's all going to be about the way the patient looks. When NCLEX presents with emphysema, they are going to be talking about the way that person looks. They're going to say that they're using accessory Okay, accessory muscles. So now I hope you guys, I hope you guys are going to remember this moving forward that COPD, you're going to have bronchitis or emphysema. Sometimes you'll have both, but if NCLEX gives you the task of differentiating between chronic bronchitis and emphysema, you guys will know it now because we get into the content around here. This is COPD. Thank you guys so much for that amazing uh, fundamental review. Let's go into the formal lesson where you're now able to build upon this smartly and confidently moving forward. I'm able to talk about this easier. So with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, we are going to have an airway limitation and there's no cure. There is no cure for COPD. We try to minimize the symptoms and we try to slow down the progression. But again, because typically the cause is smoking, 
once the damage is done to the lungs, once that scarring develops, we can't do much about it. So the two types that we have here are going to be bronchitis and emphysema, which you guys are now experts on for nursing. Um, there's another term that is uh, always associated with COPD, and it confused me a lot in nursing school because the, the nursing instructors would say, well, asthma also comes along with COPD, right? And what I found is that asthma is an obstructive disease, but sometimes it's not always related to COPD, okay? So it's another obstructive disease that is associated with COPD, but we have talked about asthma so much here that I didn't, we don't even need to go over. We, we know asthma around here, all right? So now what are we going to see as part of our assessment and again, when we're looking at our patient who has COPD, we are expecting them to have central cyanosis, a barrel chest, the abdomen is going to be, you know, it's going to be protruding, flattening of the hemodiaphragm. At rest, the respiratory rate is going to be increased. Purslip breathing, respiratory distress. And we're going to see some edema as well, because typically with the chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, it can begin to it can begin to go into a heart failure condition. And so you guys know the difference between what is going to present as emphysema versus chronic bronchitis. The abnormal heart rate is also going to be noticed in pulmonary hyperinflation. When we listen to our patient's lungs with COPD, what we're expecting is reduced breath sounds, wheezing, inspiratory or inspiratory crackles. You may hear rails too. And the abnormal heart sounds, that second heart sound is going to be increased because the, the, the patient's body is working harder because of this poor gas exchange. COPD exacerbations are the medical emergency that is considered critical care because when this exacerbation happens, when this exacerbation happens, we're going to notice that the shortness of breath is not responsive uh, to typical treatments. And so your patient is losing the capacity to exchange healthy oxygen. So they're going to have changes in their mental status. Also, the worsening of the low oxygen in the blood, the respiratory acidosis is going to be displayed and or more hemodynamic instability, hemodynamic instability. Okay, so what we're doing is we're taking a deep dive. We're taking a deep dive into content here. If it's your first time, this is what we do every Monday and every Wednesday here at Remar Review. We do this every Monday, every Wednesday. We have about 500 people watching on YouTube. So just to give you an update, in order to unlock our bonus questions, we're going to need 250 likes. So we have about 100 likes. So if you're watching on YouTube, smash that like button so we can make it to 250. All right. So the exacerbation of COPD is something that we are going to be monitoring for. Our investigations as nurses are going to be gathering data so we want to know about the risk factors of this patient. 
We want to know about medical history. We want to know about how these symptoms did develop, if they have any comorbidities. Comorbidities mean, does your patient have uh, diabetes mellitus? Do they have renal failure? What other diseases do they have that can contribute to the COPD development? And then what medications they are taking? What medications um, should they not be taking? Pertinent positives. These are things that are going to develop and help you understand if this is COPD or not. And for NCLEX for NextGen, I feel like these real life scenarios and being able to make the connections helps you get through case studies much quicker. NextGen NCLEX and nursing school in real life is not about memorization. So it doesn't matter if you can just memorize definitions, you have to be able to make these connections in real life. So if we're talking about COPD, how is smoking a contributing factor to COPD? Can you make the connection between smoking and COPD? Can you make the connection between asthma and COPD? Uh, what's the difference between asthma and COPD? You've got to be able to talk intelligently about these things, right? Um, what is the connection between adulthood and COPD? So we know the connection is we're expecting COPD to develop later in life because it is a result of scarring, all right? Your patient's lungs are being scarred. That takes time to happen, okay? That takes time to happen. Cardiovascular diseases, how do they contribute? The use of beta blockers, I have here in red. If a patient has COPD, should they take metoprolol, propanolol? Mm, right? We don't give people with COPD beta blockers, all right? Because what? because some beta blockers work on the, the, the lungs, right? And so they will make bronchoconstriction greater. People with COPD, they don't need beta blockers. They don't need, they don't need more vasoconstriction, right? Yeah, my grandmother, my grandmother, smoker, since she was, I think she said she started smoking when she was 14, right? Um, COPD, classic, my grandma, classic COPD patient, right? chronic bronchitis, emphysema, war oxygen all the time, could not take it off, right? And so all these things will develop if you do certain things, if you do certain things. So the diagnostics or the investigations, this is pretty important to know. For investigations of COPD, you are going to number one, do the FEV1, right, the um, spirometry, and what FEV1 is essentially, let me just try to explain it. So when we talk about COPD, remember I said, what happens to the air? It's trapped. It's a trapped air condition. So what we would expect is for when a patient takes a breath and blows it out, it should be a certain amount. You know, you take a breath in and you blow it out, it should be um, it, should, it should reach a certain amount. But when you take that breath in and then one second later, you blow it out and it's not the same amount of air or it's not the same capacity, 
then we know that that air got stuck. That's a problem. That's COPD. That's COP right, right there. So we don't have to make it complicated. That's essentially what it is. It's trapped air. Um, the bronchodilator reversibility. One of my amazing nurses in the comments, you put this. You said asthma is reversible. COPD is not reversible. So when a bronchodilator is administered, if the patient, okay, if the patient has an improved lung capacity, we know that that's asthma. If the patient doesn't have a complete com um, increased lung capacity, we know that's COPD. And so you see how th common sense a lot of this stuff is when you just take the time and look at it. Shout out to nurse Jolie. She says, Professor Regina <laughs> and the Remar team and Mark too. I took my NCLEX LV in October 3rd. I got my unofficial results. It says I passed. And we'll see. She says, I can, I will. I did pass NCLEX. Amazing. Congratulations. I see here too. Hi, Regina and the Remar family. I passed my NCLEX RN the very next day. Oh, this is so encouraging. This is happening right now in real time. Uh, October 4th, using the V2. I am now a two times Remar nurse. With God, all things are possible. Congratulations. Oh my goodness, God. Give them the give them the their roses. Woof, this is good. Here we go. Oh, okay. Um, so the diagnostics are here. We have uh the management. There's two ways to manage a condition. There's gonna be um a medical, right? And sometimes they're gonna be a non-medical or a medical and surgical. So the non the non medical here is going to be pulmonary rehab, all right. Um, so we're gonna do we're gonna do some chest exercises. We're going to do some. Um, wait, should I use the? Okay, all the congratulations are, are taking me. Oh yes, congratulate our Remar nurses. Um, so pulmonary improving pulmonary functional status. We're gonna teach them some breathing exercises, some incentive spirometry. Yeah. Also, nutritional counseling, because typically, even though our patients with um, bronchitis, they may be overweight, they may not be getting what they need, because when you eat, it definitely can contribute to increased shortness of breath. We know our patients with emphysema, they are probably not eating at all because they are, you know, they're so short of breath, so they're really thin. Helping our patient to stop smoking. Even with COPD, my grandmother still smoked, even with it right? Even with it, and you guys know that this just happens when you have an addiction to nicotine, it is very strong. It 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 is very, one of the most difficult. And, and me as a nurse, I've worked with patients who were addicted to heroin, cocaine, and nicotine. And they said that the cigarettes are the hardest to give up. So they can give up crack, they can give up cocaine, but the cigarettes are difficult. So it is not um, it is not unusual to see patients who have oxygen still try to smoke, patients who have emphysema still try to smoke, right? So we wanna definitely make sure that we're being therapeutic and very understanding. Um, pharmacological, we can do the bronchodilators to help uh, relax the airway. And also with inflammation being a part of the process, anytime we're talking about inflammation, no matter where it is on the body, NCLEX wants to throw some corticosteroids at it. That is going to reduce inflammation. 
Theophylline is a medication that you guys should be familiar with as it is definitely going to help improve oxygenation. It is going to decrease shortness of breath and get that gas exchange numbers increased. Okay. Um, hepatotoxicity. It can cause hepatotoxicity and theophylline does interact with many medications as well as uh, chocolate too, right? We got to make sure patient is, is watching out how much chocolate they're eating. Antibiotics, only if the patient has an infectious process going on, um, and then we would give antibiotics of the bac bacterial infection treatment and the mucolytics because bronchitis is going to produce a lot of mucus. If you give a mucolytic or mucolytic, it is going to loosen the mucus. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oxygen therapy. This is a huge point, a huge point when it comes to oxygenation. Typically, we are going to give oxygenation if the oxygen saturation is less than 88% if they have a low PaO2 or an elevated PaCO2, all right? And so the thing about it though, with patients with COPD, do we want their oxygen levels in the 90s? Do we need the patient with COPD? Do we need their oxygen level at 98%, 97%? This is just safety, guys. This is just a, a, a straight up safety talk. If you don't remember nothing else, from this lecture. If you don't remember anything else I said, the one thing that NCLEX will hammer you on is the COPD's client and the desire to get them to a 99% or 100% O2, right? Guys, for the COPD patient, it is okay if their oxygenation levels is 90 right? 92, right? We, we, we are fine with that. We are so good with that. It is okay because them having that low oxygen level, the low oxygen sat is actually what's keeping them alive. It's, a, it's, it's, it's just a crazy thing. Some stuff in nursing is not common sense. Some stuff you have to be taught. And so if you weren't taught this, Okay, if you weren't taught this, take hold of it now. We want it to be 80, 88%, 90%. We love it. We love it for the COPD patient. Got it. I think you guys got that. Oh, let me just go back and read it. Um, there was a point here. So in quick facts, it says the COPD client should not receive O2 by nasal cannula greater than two liters. Like literally, we don't want them to have a high amount of oxygen. We want them to just be riding it out. Two liters, just barely, just, just barely turn it on. Don't give them too much because the um, more oxygen, more oxygen is going to depress their respirations. Okay. If surgery is going to be done, if surgery is going to be done, uh, it is typically, I don't know, it's, it's not as common because what we would be doing is cutting away parts of the lung. So the, you could do a lung volume reduction surgery 
where you're cutting away parts of the scarred lung of the patient, or you know, um, you could do a bolectomy, which is indicated for emphysema. So if you have damaged uh, boluses in your lungs, then you can cut them away. <laughs> Or you could do, uh, typically it's a single lung trans, okay, single lung transplantation. And that would be one lung that would be improved and it would help the patient with, you know, just functional living, okay? Now, I wanted to say, what did I want to say? Oh, this is what I wanted to say. Can you guys think why patients with COPD are typically not, um, people are not really recommending them to go under surgery. What is the real, what is the reason why? And this is, I'm just asking you guys to kind of make a connection. It's not something that I've ever told you today in this lecture. Uh, maybe I've said it along the way, but I just want to see if you guys can make the jump. If a patient comes in with COPD and they asked, hey, why can't you just cut away the scar tissue? What would be some reasons why the doctor may say, no, I don't want to take the chance. I don't want to do it. What are some reasons? Because I think sometimes before the, the patients will ask the doctors this question, they'll ask the nurse. I see it. I see it already. Amazing. Are you guys nurses already? Are y'all nurses already on here? <laughs> Oh, oh my goodness. Yes, exactly. Okay, exactly. Good job. Good job. So you guys are doing so well. And you might have known this. So if a patient has COPD, they are barely keeping their oxygen, you know, appropriate. They are barely being hemodynamically stable when they are fully conscious. Do we want to put them under anesthesia where they go unconscious? Mm -mm, we don't. Um, and, and the thing about it is when you think about putting a patient under under anesthesia, you know, you typically would have them on a what? You want to have this patient on a ventilator, right? So, it, you know, the patient's like, hey, I'll be on a ventilator. The ventilator will be breathing for me. I should be fine to do the surgery. That's not the problem. The problem is when it's time to do what? When it's time to take them off of the ventilator. When it's time to take them off of the ventilator, that's when they have the issues coming off of that ventilator. And so what happens in practice, this is what you guys need to check out, that even patients who have a longstanding smoking history, the doctors won't do surgery. The doctors won't do surgery. You know, I've had a patient that that had um, the smoke for 20 years, needed to have some back surgery, needed to have a leg surgery. Guess what the doctors told them? I'm sorry, I'm not taking the chance because if I put you under and, you're, and your resp respirations can't recover, then what? Oh my goodness, okay? I, I, you're, you're in more trouble. I like this. Tiffany says, in nursing school, no one ever told us COPD is an umbrella to emphysema and bronchitis. In nursing school, I struggled with this topic. I, COPD was so tough for me to understand because it was like, go read the go read the, the 20 chapters and then I'll take you take a test on it. So when, we, when you come here, we, we take the time and we make sure we're all on one page. 
right? So right now we're talking about the, the risk of patients who have COPD, who smoke, can't, can't put them under surgery, can't do it, can't, can't do it, can't do it, all right? So be ready to definitely have those discussions at work. And this is why we encourage our patients, hey, you got to stop smoking. You got to stop smoking because we want to be able to treat you well. Now, it's time for us to go over the content that is supported through questions. And do we re reach our share goals? Guys, we literally have 249. We just need one more person to smash that like button to unlock the question. Let's go. Question number one is this. The nurse examines a client presenting... Mm -hmm. with shortness of breath. COPD is suspected because the client is barrel-chested upon further assessment. So the nurse should also expect to find what? Number one, blood tinge sputum. Two, lymphadenopathy. Three, decreased resting respirations. Or four, flattening of the diaphragm. Here we go, Remar. Here we go. This is where we shine. This is where we shine, okay? Because we know the content. And so if a patient is coming in, presenting with shortness of breath, they also have COPD, a suspicion, they have a barrel chest. What else am I looking for? Y'all, we're not going to do this on Monday. Okay, we're not doing this on Monday. Everybody that picked number three, change the answer. Okay, that's not right. That's not right. We went over this. Go back and read it again. Okay. <laughs> I see, I put these distractors on here and y'all fall for them. And that's not what we practiced. Correct answer is number four flattening of the diaphragm because you got a barrel chest here and there there's air that is trapped and so you're going to have hyper lung inflation and flattening of the diaphragm what did i say about the respirations i said increase increase resting respirations so you guys saw the last two and then you just two words and you just picked it okay i'm not gonna let y'all play in my face today we're gonna be doing this the right way because i said increased okay increased i want y'all to pass all right here we go question number two let's try this one the client who has a history of copd suddenly experienced severe shortness of breath confusion mm -hmm, and an elevated temperature the client is likely having this is a next-gen question blank and requires blank so COPD, they have severe shortness of breath, confusion, elevated temperature, okay? Is it number one? They're likely having core pulmonale and they require bronchodilators. Two, a COPD exacerbation and they require mechanical ventilation. Three, an asthma attack and they're requiring corticosteroids or pneumonia and requiring antibiotics. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. Because <laughs> there's two. There's two that you want to go with 
okay? And, but there's only one that is right. And so I need you guys to use content, content, okay? You've got to use content here to be a safe nurse. You got to think about what is going to save my patient's life. If I only had to pick one, what's life saving? All right. Correct answer is going to be number two. My patients having a COPD exacerbation. Okay. And so I need to mechanically ventilate them. I need to make sure that a person who is having this, the, I need to make sure that a person that's having this obstructive disorder, this obstructive respiratory disease, that they're going to get the treatment that's going to ultimately help them to live longer. Okay, here we go. This one's a good one too. A nurse is caring for a patient with a history of COPD. The patient. She's sorry, I'm sorry. She should say the patient has increased shortness of breath, a productive cough, green sputum, and a fever. The nurse suspects COPD, an exacerbation of COPD. So, which test is going to be the priority? Is it number one? Okay. Pulmonary function test. Two, chest x ray. Three, Arterial blood gas analysis. Four, complete blood count. Oh my goodness, y'all. See, this is why this subject is so tricky. I'm so glad I stopped by and discussed this particular subject because I don't know what's happening right now. But I'm glad you guys are here. Correct answer for this, and I'm going to explain it, is... Number three, the arterial blood gas analysis is going to be the most important when you're talking about COPD. Why? Why? Because the arterial blood gas gives you what? It gives you information. I mean, I saw some people pick the chest x-ray, but the chest x-ray is not going to tell me the patient's oxygenation status, the acid base balance, and the respiratory status. This is going to be the one that is going to be the priority. Did you get this one right? And so the ABG is going to tell me what is the extent of the hypoxemia and the acidosis, okay? And it's going to help me get to the treatment that I need for the patient a lot faster. And so this was tricky because all of these, all of these the doctor can order, the doctor should order. The, the, the PFT, the chest x-ray, the ABG, the complete blood count. But if I have all of these in front of me right now, the the, the most important one I'm going to I'm gonna want to know is the ABG, okay? The ABG, that's going to be the most important. So priority questions can come in many ways. They can come in many ways, right? But the content and understanding how these work is going to be the, the best way for you to get through this NCLEX. It's not about memorization. We're beyond that. You guys are safe nurses now. Welcome to the Remar family. <laughs> Question number four. The nurse is administering oxygen therapy to a client with COPD. 
it's important to maintain an oxygen saturation between 88 to 92% in COPDers because what? Here we go. Basic. Number one, high oxygen concentration can lead to diaphragmatic spasms. Two, oxygen toxicity can cause bronchial spasms. Three, more than 92% oxygen saturation can diminish, diminish respiratory drive. Four, it can cause respiratory alkalosis. What say if my Remar nurse's safety is the priority? Always, 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 always. I see the answers on the screen. We all on one accord for this one. It's a beautiful site. It's a beautiful site. Correct answer is you got it is number three. Clients with COPD are used to having low oxygen levels. That's where they live. And so it becomes their respiratory drive. And then once we try to increase it, respiratory arrest will occur because high oxygen levels will decrease their stimulus. So you got that one right. I think that's the most important question. Seriously, you've got to know that. Our bonus question has been unlocked. Yay! Give it up for community teamwork. Y'all did it. Here's the bonus question. A client with COPD reports shortness of breath and presents wheezing. The nurse nebulizes the client with a bronchodilator. Which of the following evaluation indicates a positive treatment response? Number one, a decreased heart rate. Two, rising of the blood pressure. Three, increased shallow respirations. Or four, decreased wheezing. Which one is going to indicate a positive response for our patient? Come on in, safe nurses. This is now your time. This is a good class. I'm happy, I'm happy that you made it. Over 800 people decided on Monday, I got to get to class. I got to get to school. So I don't have to study this the hard way later on. You're doing it right now. COPD, you now know it. It has been served. And the correct answer, number four, if we're talking about a patient having wheezing and we want to know if the treatment is positive, we're going to look for a decrease in the what? in the wheezing, nothing else is gonna matter, right? And so um, the wheezing also is gonna indicate some obstruction, some dyspnea. So the, the, the positive treatment response would be to open up the airways, okay? And have increased shallow breaths, decreased heart rate, increased blood pressure is considered a rare effect of the bronchodilator. How did you do? We got in and out. I'm so proud of you guys because COPD, I was when I was doing the clipboard, I'm like, I hope they understand it. This is such a complicated topic, but we got in and out of this topic in less than 30 minutes. And so that's amazing because now when you see it on NCLEX, you're going to be like, mm, emphysema, mm, chronic bronchitis. I know it. I know it. I know it. So I'm so glad that you attended class today. Your how to pass NCLEX subject, what served, let's move on. There's another part of Mondays that really blessed my soul. And it's the Monday motivation around the nation. 800 nurses asked this question, why am I suffering? Why am I suffering? And I got to take it to the Bible, y'all. I got to take it to the Bible because I see 
the questions and my DMs essentially asking, why did I fail? Why am I not where everybody else is? Why am I indeed going through this trial? And it's a, it's a very natural question to ask, but we got to be careful if we're asking the right question, because we like to ask why, all right? We like to ask why. The life of Job. Are you guys familiar with this story? The life of Job. And I do have an announcement I'm going to make right after I do this Monday motivation, but stay here with me. Stay here with me because Job in the Bible is an exemplary character right? He's one of the people that people are like, I want to have the patience of Job. I want to have the, the patience of Job, right? That's what we asked for. I, I'm, I struggle with patience. I have three kids. And, you know, when you have three kids, they stretch you in ways that you cannot imagine. Any mothers in here? Well, let, me, let me just be for real, for real. When you have one child, when you have one kid and you work and you have, um, you know, you have your own things that you have to get done, man, you, 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 you look for the patience and you feel like you're going through trials, but ain't nobody really went through a trial like Job. So let me, let me not even get in there. Job in the Bible, when, when you meet Job, he is described as righteous. He is described as wealthy. He has it all. Like he is doing he is doing it. Like when we meet Job in the Bible, it's like, okay, here's Job. This is the guy. This is God's guy. He is doing it right. Like he has everything. He's a wealthy man. He's well-respected. He is worshiping in behalf for his children. He knows God. He's the dude, right? And so he's to the point where um, when we meet him, right after we meet him, he experiences these extreme hardships and sufferings like you cannot even imagine. And the reason why is because Satan looks at Job and says to God, he only serves you because things are so good. He only serves you because you protect him and you keep him and you are sustaining him. And that's why he serves and loves you. And so Satan challenges Job's faith in the presence of God in heaven and he suggests that he only remains faithful because he's blessed. And so to test Job's faith, God allows Satan to take away everything, everything from him. Like literally in a day, he loses his children. He loses his, you know, he loses his, you know, his wealth. Um, and I always wondered about that, like to punish to punish Job, you know, to test him, his children are removed. His children die, but his wife stays. Oh, my God, did y'all ever think about that? Like, was, it, was the wife not a blessing? Like, why the wife get to live, but the children die? Like, when you think that the wife would be, never mind, that's another part. So anyways, um, his wealth, his health, you know, he, he, he begins to have the, this, this painful skin condition, boils, top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And, you know, he loses his children, who he loves dearly. He loves his children dearly. And so despite his suffering, we find that Job, he refuses to curse God. 
He refuses to curse God. He, instead, he takes another approach. He asks questions to God. He, he like asks questions like, why am I experiencing this? And he engages in philosophical discussions with his friends. If you look at the word uh, philosophy, that's like the wisdom of man. It's like when men get around and they they talk about what they think is right, what they think is true, what they think is good. That's philosophy. And so he does that with his friends and his friends is like, oh, yes, you know, from our like, right. You say his wife wasn't a blessing. She's the one that told him to curse God. Mm, y'all got to watch out for the family sometimes, man. So yeah, his friends are like, Joe, this happened to you because you're not a good man. This happens to you because you pretend that you're good, but you have sin in your life. So his friends are just just like. You know how you kick somebody when they're down? Like he, he, between his wife and his friends, man, he didn't, he didn't need enemies because he had his friends and his wife <laughs> telling him to curse God, man. And so his friends are giving him philosophy. And this is why you got to be so important. You got to be so careful when you take on the wisdom of men and the wisdom of science and the wisdom of what people are saying, because they will lead you away from the truth. They will lead you away from the truth. But I'm not, I'm not going to even get into that y'all right now. Mm. And so anyways, his friends is offering him explanations and he's listening to him, but he's like, no, I don't think that's right. And so Job maintains his innocence. And so Ultimately, God hears Job questioning him and God responds to Job by speaking to him from a whirlwind and, and emphasizing his wisdom, emphasizing his supreme wisdom and his supreme power. God, he doesn't really say, well, this is why this is happening to you. He says, since you have questions right? Since you have questions for me, let me ask you some questions. And instead, God challenges Job and he challenges his understanding of the universe and creation. He says, tell me, where were you when the foundations of the world were created? How does the universe work, Job? Okay. And so Job, he humbly accepts God. He says, you know what? I wasn't there. I don't know everything. I don't even need to know everything, God. As long as you know it, as long as you got it, I'm good. And that's where we have to be. We have to understand, I don't need to know the whys of why everything is happening. I don't need to know that. And if we can get there, if we can be in that place during our trials and our tests and our testimonies, in the end, what happens? God restores Job's fortune. He doubles his wealth. All right. He blesses him. Right. He blesses him with a new family, a new family. And so, guys, we have to remember that, like, when it comes to suffering, suffering is something that is absolutely inevitable. It's unavoidable in this world. Right. If we are followers of Christ, what we can expect is to have trouble in this world. Jesus Christ did not have an easy life. Jesus Christ did not have a home, a place to lay his head at night. So. We have more than him, even the master we have more than. So we have to be willing to fellowship in his suffering, but we can go to God, right? Our, our, fans, our family and friends, we can go to him even if our family and friends are not with us. God can be with us, all right? And so sometimes God even uses our suffering to show us 
that we are incapable. Okay, God uses our suffering to show us that we are not able to do it on our own. Sometimes we don't even get to understand our humility until we're going through something, until we're sick in our bodies, or you know, until we've experienced some plan that you know that didn't work out for us. And now all of a sudden we have questions, right? And so we have to understand that it's not the why, okay? It's not the why that we should be asking. It really is the, you know, the what next, Lord? What am I supposed to do? Order my steps. Tell me what the next thing is. It's the what or it's the how, okay? And, and I think if we can focus on that, the how, how do I come from this, Lord? Like, how do I recover? How do I find you in this situation? That's going to be the best. Now, I have a Remar nurse. I love that. I have a Remar nurse. I see the Remar nurse, but listen, I don't know. I don't know if I can. Let me see if I can add her in. Let me see. Um, okay. Hi, man. Hi, how are you? Are you driving? I am driving in the highway. <laughs> okay, no, I need you to be safe. I need you to be safe. So I don't even want to, I don't even want to talk to you because you're driving and I just, I just, I just can't do it. So can you pull over? Is there any way you can pull over or stop or anything like that? Because I do want to talk to you. If not, we can just, we can schedule it a different way. Okay. Okay. All right. So um, can you pull over or am I going to talk to you later? Um, I'm gonna talk to you later. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye. Listen, y'all know I love listen, y'all know I love talking to the Remar nurses more than anything, but I am not about to no, we're not gonna go there. Y'all cause I see y'all have 600 nurses on the line and y'all are like, get her off. <laughs> y'all like another time, another time. And that's fine with me. Um uh Nazik says, Thank you, Remar. I finally passed after failing six times. Thank you, God. Oh my goodness. That is an amazing testimony. That is amazing. Congratulations. I listen, you can come on. You can come on because we are, um, we love to hear from the Remar nurses. And I hope that you guys know every single time that you show up, every single time that you show up, I, I'm expecting miracles. I'm expecting miracles in our community because we believe in God's power. We really, really do. And so here's the verse I had wanted to share. Okay, here's the verse I wanted to share. Um, it's this, all right? And the grace, oh, I'm sorry, and the God of all grace. Oh, that part right there. How much grace? Not some grace, not sometimes grace, but the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Y'all, this is so good. And the God of all grace, and listen, did you have to call him? Did you even have to come to him? Did, did he have to, did he have to wait for you to show up? No, because you know why? When you were yet God's enemy, when you were an enemy to God, lost in your sin, he called you out of darkness and into his marvelous 
light. We don't even have to do anything, but listen to this, but trust. He called you to his forever eternal glory. Why and by whom? In Christ Jesus, who did it for you. You didn't even do it for yourself. You don't even have to do it. All you have to do is believe that Christ did it for you. You are a victor through mm, mm, through the work of somebody else. And listen, in this little suffering that you're doing, this small, insignificant suffering that you just have to endure for a little while, it will make you grateful because he is going to restore you. He is going to lift you up when you are dead in your sins. And this is what gets me. This is, this is what gets me. And this is the gospel that we have to preach to people. It's not you doing anything. You don't have to do anything to have this eternal glory, but to believe. It doesn't matter what you are. It doesn't matter where you're, where you're working. It doesn't matter if you're doing good. You're not doing anything good. There's There's nothing good in you except for Christ is literally this. Mm, 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 mm. You will be restored, even if it's not right now, right? Even if it's not in your timing, we know that it's happening because God can do anything but lie. He can do anything but lie. And so if you don't see it today, it's coming. You have to be willing to praise him in the meantime. Can you serve? while you wait. Okay. Um, I love it. Somebody said the, our, our miracle, somebody said the, the middle name, our, our middle name is Remar Miracle Nurse. That's it. That's it. And, and, and it's the miracle that, that, you know, that we see and God's keep showing us, but it's only because when, when we lift his name up, he draws all men, he, he draws all men to himself. So can we thank God in advance for this week? Because honestly, I don't have to go through the trials of Job. I don't want I don't want the trials of Job. My grandfather was a pastor, right? And he would always tell me when I was little, baby, you don't really want God talking to you. Like you don't want God to make an example out of you. Just trust him before the trials come. And that's me. Like I literally, Lord, I don't want to go through any like, Lord, please. I want to just trust you. And let me just have faith. Don't take it away. Don't take anything away. Let me just believe. And so um, you know, I, I try to I try to get you to understand that in 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 everything there is a lesson, and we need to have his character. Because if we don't have the character when we get into nursing, you know what we're gonna do? If we don't have the character of Christ when we get into nursing, we're gonna be bitter and we're gonna be bullies, and we're not gonna have a heart to serve. Because the money and nursing. It's good, but it ain't that good for some of the stuff that we will have to do and, and how we will be treated, you know? So if you don't understand that Jesus Christ himself was persecuted and he suffered, you're going to think you're too good to do what nurses are called to do. Nursing is a ministry. It is a for real ministry where you're taking care of people. And so you have to be humble and you have to have been broken. You have to have a broken spirit and a, and a broken heart in order to be able to clean somebody, bathe somebody, 
comfort somebody. All right, that's it. <laughs> that's it. All right, I like this. What's the comments? Come on, put the comments in. Help me, help me. My pastor preached about this yesterday about not asking God why. We are the clay and we can't question the potter. Glory to God. Yes, yes, indeed. Hallelujah. Yes. Okay, and that's fine. Listen, people always leave when you start to share the word, when that's the real content. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. And that's okay. Um, because God, listen, we're not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. So if God brings you to a place and he brings you there, because some of you right, some it wasn't the COPD. Somebody needed to hear that in suffering, it lasts a short time because you have eternal glory waiting. That's really the that's really the real content, right? So you're so right about that. But I believe that even even before even before we got into the word, the person that left knew that there was something different about us. They knew that this was a different place and they'll come back again. And and listen, and it won't be me, it'll be Mark and they won't leave. <laughs> and when they and and when they let Mark get a hold of them, then they will be changed, right? And so when people come and then they leave, when we start to talk about the Bible, I know even still God has sent them because many people don't find Remar. Remar is still a very small, it's still a small company. And so the people who find us, I believe they're sent to me. When the people that listen to Mark, they're sent. And so, uh, and so we're, you know, all we have to do is continue to show up on Mondays and Wednesdays right? And God will find who he needs to find and he will call out who he needs to call. But honestly, if you are here, then you already have been called. God loves you. If, if you don't know, Jesus loves you and Jesus died for you. And there's nothing you can do about it because he did it before you were formed in your mother's womb, before the foundations of the world were created. God already died for you. And so we have a victory. We got a shout. We got a promise. We got an eternal glory. Listen, and the world can't give it and the world can't take it away. So no matter what you're going through, you're loved. And that's all I got to say about it. Thank you so much for coming to class today. It was indeed a good one. I will be back on Wednesday. All right. Uh, thank you, Regina. I like your teaching strategies to God be the glory. I've passed in collects. Miracles are happening all around. You have a new life. And so now that you have your license, you have a responsibility. I want you to teach somebody what you know. All right. I want you to teach somebody. I need the V2. Not sure if I remember that book. All right. If you need the V2, it's so super simple. Please go to remarnurse.com. Get into the program. I like to see you there. That's where all my rollies go. They're in the V2. They're in the V2. Okay. I like that. <laughs> So I will see you guys later. All right. Hope you have a wonderful day. And um, remember, God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. See you guys later. Bye-bye.